0: Chapter two of the Will and the Way Stories This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Maline. The Will and the Way Stories by Jesse Benton Fremont. Chapter Two KIT Carson A brave sight was Her Majesty's ship, Collingwood, eighty guns flagship of the english squadron in the pacific admiral sir george seymour commanding as she came to before the small mexican town of monterey on the california coast she came to raise the english flag in protectorate over this distant mexican territory and hold it safe from american aggression during our war with mexico when the british lion protects such stray lambs of territory it is apt to keep them safe but as the great ship drew near the coast there shone out against its dark line of pine forest a patch of color small but of great meaning our flag our banner on the outer wall of a nation that now held the country from sea to sea from the atlantic to the pacific upon a breadth equal to the length of the mississippi and embracing the whole temperate zone the disappointment and check to admiral seymour was immense but he was too late by nine days if i had not found your flag up i would have raised mine here he said to our fleet commander and so loath was he to accept it as a defeat and final that he left official orders to all british consuls on the coasts to treat it only as a temporary occupation not to be decided until after peace had returned but the stars and stripes had been raised never to come down by americans inland on the fifth of july eighteen forty six following this two days later on the seventh at the coast town of monterey by the commander of our squadron in the pacific and when on the sixteenth admiral seymour arrived he was too late it had been a close race for an empire, and we won. A strange feeling the English admiral must have had on realizing what to him would seem such inadequate force to have defeated Great England, by sea only four not imposing ships, overland this wildest wild party of backwoodsmen with only one officer of the army as their commander narrow risks where a single life held all the purpose and responsibility of the command but made up of men of rare individual force of character and each had so supported their captain and one another that they won through to success it brings to mind the story of that english officer so often wounded so shot to pieces in the peninsula campaign that, finding himself hopelessly disabled and mutilated, he wrote to the dear woman who was to be his wife, releasing her, for there is nothing left of me. If you have only body enough left to hold your soul, I will marry you, was the answer. The small party with its one officer proved to be body enough to carry forward and plan. The flag, the symbol and soul of our national life, these tried and proved men were too many and of too real merit to be told of this scant way but of one carson i can tell you an outline an officer of the collingwood published his travels four years in the pacific on her majesty's ship collingwood by lieutenant honorable fred walpole r n and being a walpole of that family of statesmen and men of letters he not only wrote of what he saw but felt its bearing that these backwoodsmen represented the advance guard of american progress during our stay in monterey captain fremont and his party arrived they naturally excited curiosity here were true trappers the class that produced the heroes of fenimore cooper's best works These men had passed years in the wilds, living upon their own resources. They were a curious set. A vast cloud of dust appeared first, and thence, in long file, emerged this wildest wild party. Fremont rode ahead, a spare, active-looking man. He was dressed in a blouse and leggings, and wore a felt hat. After him came five Delaware Indians, who have been with him through all his wanderings they had charge of two baggage horses the rest many of them blacker than the indians rode two and two the rifle held by one hand across the pommel of the saddle his original men are principally backwoodsmen from the western states and the upper banks of the missouri he has one or two with him who enjoy a high reputation on the prairies kit carson is as well known there as the duke is in europe they are allowed no liquor tea and coffee only this no doubt has much to do with their good conduct and the discipline too is very strict they were marched up to an open space on the hills near the town under some long firs and there took up their quarters in messes of six or seven in the open air THE INDIANS LAY BESIDE THEIR LEADER. IN JUSTICE TO THE AMERICANS, I MUST SAY, THEY SEEMED TO TREAT THE NATIVES WELL, AND THEIR AUTHORITY EXTENDED EVERY PROTECTION TO THEM. HOW CARSON HAD ALREADY MADE FOR HIMSELF, WHEREVER HE WAS KNOWN, A NAME WHICH LIEUTENANT Walpole COMPARES TO THAT OF THE DUKE OF WELLINGTON, THE GOOD GRAY HEAD THAT ALL MEN KNEW, IS TOO LONG TO CRAMP INTO THIS WAY OF WRITING but he did make himself known and loved and trusted and also feared by bad whites as well as the regular enemy the indian he became of large service to his country in two wars rising by force of will and personal qualities to the height of his ambition which was to wear his country's uniform as an officer and serve that country in time of danger This was a great rise from his obscure unfriended beginning as a boy on the Missouri frontier where Indians were many and schools few. The prairies with their mountains beyond, crowded with tempting game yet full of forbidding savages, enticed the imagination of frontier lads as the sea and its chances tempt the seacoast boys. Yearly there left st louis which was the port for such inland ventures great caravans merchants and fur traders with long wagon trains of merchandise banded for mutual protection against the indians bound for santa fe in mexico and on further still even to the sea of cortez as the gulf of california was then called this rich trade by way of the spanish trail now the boston santa fe and pacific railroad sent a returning stream of pearls and gold from the gulf and sonora's gold and silver and much coined money from the mexican states back to st louis big gold doubloons and ounces ounces the heavy silver dollar and the little picalion picayuni were the common currency there even in my early day Inevitably, lads ran away to join these caravans, and some came back, but after a long time on fine horses with splendid silver-mounted saddles and heavy jingling silver spurs, and gold-embroidered velvet Spanish riding suits, and a fine smattering of Mexican Spanish, or they had accumulated stores of rich furs by trapping beaver and selling them to the fur company while their money lasted they made a great sensation and sowed harvests of longing and dissatisfaction among youngsters in quiet farming life on such a venture started kit carson while he was yet very young with only fancies no knowledge beyond the tales of returning trappers and traders that there were far more blanks than prizes did not discourage him the knowledge of many solitary trappers cruelly tortured and killed by indians and long after traced by bits of moldering garments and bones pulled about by the wolves never dimmed his fixed aim to be a great hunter and trapper and to this he held fast through early bad luck enough to wear out a less positive will and a less sunshiny nature for carson had the merry heart that shakespeare knew goes all the day he had that most lovable combination of a happy and reasoning patience under trial with quick resource and a courage equal to all proof his reputation was already made in prairie land and its headquarters st louis when after one of his rare visits there he first met on a steamboat ascending the missouri river the one who was to give the largest and highest development to his special gifts and acquirements, and for many years his life and Mr. Fremont's ran together. These two, and a Frenchman of St. Louis, Alexis Gaudy, became, each in their way, necessary parts one of the other, and, like the three guardsmen of Dumas's story, felt nothing impossible which they could undertake together. UNDER NAPOLEON THEY MIGHT HAVE BECOME MARSHALS, CHOSEN AS HE CHOSE MEN, CARSON PROMPT, SELF-SACRIFICING, OF GREAT COURAGE, QUICK AND COMPLETE PERCEPTION, TAKING IN AT A GLANCE THE ADVANTAGE AS WELL AS THE CHANCES FOR DEFEAT, GODIE INSENSIBLE TO DANGER, OF PERFECT COOLNESS AND STUBBORN RESOLUTION, WITH FRENCH ELAN AND THEIR gaiety OF COURAGE. Like the guardsmen in the romance, these dropped everything else to renew adventures and dangers at the call of their old leader. More than once each had saved the other's lives, and together they had punished the Indians for the killing of their comrades. And in one stirring fray, where treachery as well as killing had to receive its lesson of punishment, even the captain's horse took such intelligent part in his rider's feeling that carson's life was actually saved by the horse a california horse of fine breed and high training who obeyed the lightest impulse from the rider his name was given him because he swam the wide deep sacramento river after a day's travel of eighty miles the captain and sacramento the two saved my life that time said carson It was in the Tlamath and Modoc Indian country near the Oregon boundary. An unknown land then, but its Indians suspiciously alert and intelligent. In later years, these became known as both treacherous and warlike. Their killing of the good General Canby, while in council, will be remembered. Some Tlamaths had followed the exploring party, saying they were starving and begging food the captain had a horse unpacked and shared with them though we had little enough for ourselves tells carson at dead of night these same indians with their warriors for whom they had acted as spies attacked the camp it was the second time only in all their years of travel that they failed to set the guard and the man sleeping next carson was killed first "'It was the licks of the axes that split Basil's head that woke me,' said Carson. And as they jumped, rifle in hand, to the crowding-in Indians, he found himself side by side with his friend and captain, and they together ended that Indian's life. He proved to be the very one for whom they had unpacked the horse in the morning. Two of our best men were killed, and more wounded by the sharp arrowheads, almost as hard as diamond, of vitrified lava. Several Tlamaths were killed and many wounded, though as Indians always carried off their dead and wounded, it could not be known how many. But at once our party turned back to give them a lesson. It was a country of large lakes, and these tribes gathered in fishing villages with huts of willow and rushes, fishing nets, drying scaffolds and canoes there followed a continued fight of some days covering all the ground they had travelled they gave to the indians the prussian war tactics of le lien responsible where the whole neighbourhood has to bear the responsibility of individual acts they burned their villages their nets and scaffolds for drying fish and their boats and killed twenty-one of the indians we gave them something to remember said carson the women and children we did not interfere with interfere had a narrower meaning to carson than to us one indian in his ignorance of firearms thought he had escaped in a boat but the rifle ball sent after him surprised him as he was shouting and gesticulating and he remained in that attitude of defiance upright but dead in the stern of his canoe the current drove this against the bank and they saw his hand still grasping the paddle and on his feet the shoes worn by basil when he was killed by this time the indians were gathering in great force though the rifles were too much for them in open ground An Indian will not fight at a disadvantage, and he hates to be killed, but later they were reported advancing through the timber. Taking with me Carson and some of the Delawares, I rode out to see what they were intending. Sacramento knew how to jump and liked it. Going through the wood at a hand gallop, we came upon an oak tree which had been blown down. Its summit covered quite a space, and being crowded by the others, I was brought squarely in front of it. I let Sacramento go, and he cleared the whole green mass in a beautiful leap. Looking back, Carson called out, "'Captain, that horse will break your neck some day.' But it never happened to Sacramento to hurt his rider. In the heart of the wood we came suddenly upon an Indian scout, He was drawing his arrow to the head, as we came upon him. I fired, and in my haste to save Carson, failed to kill the Indian, but Sacramento was not afraid of anything, so I jumped him directly upon the Indian and threw him to the ground. His arrow went wild. Sagunda was right behind me, and as I passed over the Indian, my Delaware threw himself from his horse and killed him with a blow from his war club all was the work of a moment but it was a narrow chance for carson i wish there was space to tell you fully of the generous and most daring effort made by carson and godey to rescue two mexican women who had been carried off captive by the apache after these savages had cut to pieces the men of their party one man and a boy only were saved by being off and on horseback guarding their band of horses they fled and in about sixty miles came upon our party carson and godey familiar with such atrocities knew the horrible fate to which these unhappy women were doomed and volunteered to rescue them well mounted they and fuentes the husband of one of the women Started on this forlorn hope. The Mexican, already exhausted, gave out and returned by nightfall, but Carson and Godey kept on. They followed the Indian trail all day and as long as the moon lasted. It had led into a narrow mountain defile where they had to wait for morning light. Holding to their horses' raitas, they slept a little until day dawn again let them follow the trail, and soon after sunrise they came on a large camp. Hiding their horses and keeping themselves well hid, they crept up close to this robber's nest and looked down on them in their fancied security. There were lodges around the good spring, and baskets of moccasins, and every look of a large and secure robber rendezvous. Horses had been skinned and cut up, and were boiling in large earthen pots over big fires. It was to be a big feast, and there was a gay time already. They saw the two captive women when the Mexican horses gave the alarm, and instantly the whole camp made off, leaving everything, horses and all, "'except the two poor women. "'As these had been in a small party "'in advance of the great caravan, "'doubtless the Apaches thought the force of the caravan "'had pursued them. "'Carson and Gody killed two "'and hoped more shots told on others, "'but seeing the women were lost, "'they hurried off the band of horses "'and returned after their hundred-mile ride of two days "'with eighteen horses.' and to godey's gun were hanging two indian scalps as vouchers carson's gentler nature was soon to enter into higher and more congenial pursuits after our flag had been planted on that furthest shore and mexico and her next friend england discomfited it was needed to inform the government at washington and arrange for the changed conditions the continent lay between los angeles and the capital today this would be done in five days of railway ride in luxury of comfort or by some telegrams taking only hours instead of days then it had to be an overland ride running the gauntlet of dangerous indians from california to the missouri frontier panama was the nearest crossing by sea for Mexico was enemy's ground, and we had only sailing vessels. In old days, the bearer of dispatches had a most honorable but perilous duty. To ride, run, and deliver with all haste involved the courage, the endurance, the fidelity of highest romance. Carson was the one man all thought of for this ride cross-country, his captain hesitated over risking this valued friend but carson said let me go i will do it not i can but i will and he did meeting my father in st louis he was by him sent to us at our washington home and there commenced the personal knowledge continued at intervals which made me know the high and fine nature of carson and added me to the number of his fast friends. He was with us at that time some weeks. Long and most unnecessary delays at the State Department followed his wonderful ride and wasted its value. He was sorely tired, for his native good sense made him feel this delay involved a hidden and wrong meaning, as it proved. It is not fair to the captain, he would say, He trusted me to come back as quick as I had come on. Now he is looking out for me, and they won't give me the answer to carry back." We had all become attached to him, and tried our best to lighten the delay and that sense of slyly frustrated purpose so much harder to bear than open opposition. After each fruitless visit to the department, where his anxious sincerity was met by polite insincerity, and a renewed to-morrow, he would come back to us all troubled by the new ideas conflicting with his old reverence for the rulers of the country. "'He is such a fair-looking gentleman. Who would think he is not to be trusted?' Carson's vocabulary was not large, so he could not shade his meeting." With their big houses and easy living, they think they are princes. But on the plains, we are the princes. They could not live there without us." How he did appreciate Burns's verse, "'The king may make a better knight, a duke, an earl, and all that, but an honest man's above his might, for a that and a that!' One of these troubled days, he brought up to the library an illustrated byron which had attracted him among the books in the parlor below the picture of mazeppa bound to the horse the frightened horse running madly over a solitary plain with only the stars for light fascinated him it made him too full of excitement to read it patiently read it out to me you will read it quicker than i can it looks like Indian work. They're devil's enough for just such work as that. And then and often again I read it to him. There in my father's large library, among his father's and his own serious collections, I rendered Byron with all the dramatic effect I could manage. Carson kindled to fury over the wild horse episode. His excitement culminated where Mazeppa says, There never yet was human power that could evade, if unforgiven, the patient hate and vigil long of him who treasures up a wrong. That's so, that's so. He knows how a man feels. That's the way I felt, until I paid them back, after the Blackfeet destroyed my caches and carried off all my furs and skins. But I came back. I thanked them for their conduct. I had to wait. I had to wait for the right men to help punish the thieves. Then my time came, and we left mourning in their tribe. Carson had now an interval of peace and home life with his brother-in-law Maxwell, original owner of the famous Maxwell grant near Taos, New Mexico. He lived on a great domain where he herded his sheep and cattle and only hunted for pleasure. The two families lived in patriarchal largeness of ease and hospitality with their families growing up about them. But there came a time when the life of the nation depended on men who could be trusted. Then Carson's hour came, and his dearest wish was fulfilled. He wore the uniform of his country and did her good service in her time of utmost danger. His name gathered not only the loyal men of New Mexico, men he knew could be trusted, but kept in check all attempts to enlist its Indians against us, as had been done all along the border. Colonel Carson was the same Kit Carson they had learned to fear of old, only now more formidable, because he was backed by government authority and resources and after good services, when peace was restored, he was made superintendent of his neighboring Indians to maintain peace and order. On some duty connected with this, he had come to Washington, bringing with him several chiefs of different tribes. This was in the summer of 67, vingt ans après. Mr. Fremont wrote me from Washington that Carson was there on Indian business, but looking so ill and suffering he had made him promise to see some good physician in new york and that he had tried to make him promise also to go to me and let me take care of him at our country home on the hudson carson traced his illness to an accident where a refractory young mule had contrived to so wind his lariat about himself and carson too that as the mule fell over A steep hillside Carson was dragged over, the rope tightening about his body, and the left side getting badly hurt and jammed among rocks. "'I think Carson is very ill. If you can, persuade him to stay, and I will come back immediately. He is greatly altered by suffering. I went at once to town, sending my youngest boy to the Metropolitan Hotel.' where Carson was to go, to let him know I would be there to see him immediately. Meantime, I waited at the house of a friend on Madison Square. The family were out of town, but I was always at home in that house, and now waited in the cool library looking on the square. A room full of pictures, bronzes, books in low cases, around the walls, Every device of luxurious easy chair and reading lamp, all beautiful, but of today, with nothing of the delightful old world growth, the still and scholarly seclusion, the atmosphere of peace and retreat from the world that gave such charm to my father's library, the library where Carson in his young days had kindled, responsive, to the tale of cruelty endured, remembered and revenged. I was thinking how strange it was that my first, and this, the last, meeting with this unlettered but true knight and gentleman should be framed in by libraries, when the door opened and my poor Carson came in, holding the hand of my boy and resting on his sturdy young shoulder. He ought not to have come out, but it would not have been Carson had he let me go to him. NO, YOU COULDN'T DO THAT, I'M ALIVE YET. BUT HE WAS EXHAUSTED AND HAD TO REST BEFORE HE COULD TALK. SITTING BETWEEN THE WIFE AND THE CHILD OF HIS OLD FRIEND, HOLDING A HAND OF EACH, HIS LOOKS AND FAINT SMILE OF CONTENT SHOWED HE FELT GLAD TO BE WITH US, AND WAS, LIKE THAT NIGHT OF KING ARTHUR'S TIME, REVOLVING MANY MEMORIES IN HIS MIND but he knew it was the last greeting. It had greatly pleased him to find the father's face repeated in the sun. The youngster had gone up himself to Carson's room to find him. The children of this gentleman are wise enough to do that for themselves, what they want well done, and in answer to his knock and the come in, he entered to several Indians and found Carson lying down, Before he could speak, Carson exclaimed, "'My boy, I know you. You are a Fremont,' and so introduced him to the chiefs. These chiefs wished to visit New York and Boston. Bringing his Indians through on the night train, he had gone at once to Dr. Sayre, telling him how he had been hurt and that he felt the heart was injured but that he wanted to get home to Taos in New Mexico, return his Indians to their people, and die among his own people. If Dr. Sayre could help him do this, he expected no more, for he felt he was near death. Dr. Sayre had to tell him he was right, that he might die at any moment. The mountain fall and the dragging of the frightened mule had caused a fatal injury to his heart. Nothing could now be done to prevent sudden death. It might be delayed by extreme care in avoiding fatigue, excitement, any hurried or disturbed action of the heart. With a gentle smile of amusement, Carson added, "'And the doctor said I must not do any drinking.' You see, the eastern idea of reckless, drinking hurrah boys was even this great physician's idea of the western frontiersman. I must take the chiefs to see Boston. They depend on me. I told them I would. Then we go home, straight. My wife must see me. If I was to write about this, or died out here, it would kill her. I must get home and i think i can do it his will was concentrated on the orders to avoid excitement he told me all this simply checking the signs of distress i could not entirely keep back with a kindly now don't you must help me to get home but even his magnificent courage must have bent to the death sentence for he told me that after seeing dr sayre and returning to the hotel He felt tired and lay down on the bed. Suddenly the bed seemed to rise with me. I felt my head swell and my breath leaving me. Then I woke up at the window. It was open and my face and head all wet. I was on the floor and the chief was holding my head on his arm and putting water on me. He was crying. He said, I thought you were dead. You called your Lord Jesus, then you shut your eyes and couldn't speak. "'I did not know that I spoke,' said our dear Carson. "'I do not know that I called on the Lord Jesus, but I might. It's only him that can help me where I stand now.' And so he went on his way, and I saw him no more. Carson did reach his home. His wife, being of the very simple affectionate Spanish nature, did feel his condition as he feared she died leaving a very young baby then carson's friends at the fort nearby claimed him and there under the best surgical skill and with manly sympathy and tenderness from men who had personally learned what the life of the plains and the mountains meant and what high qualities it could develop and what a mighty chief among the best was carson his last hour came. Reviving from one of the closing attacks of suffocation, his unfailing thought for others showed itself. "'Gentlemen,' he gasped. "'I'm sorry I'm giving you trouble longer than I expected.' His name is part of the geography and of the military record of his country. Carson's Peak looms up, snow-capped, beyond the Yosemite. And the busy railroad town of Carson City marks one of the old striving and struggling camps in the Sierras. And a central G. A. R. post, the Kit Carson post, at the national capital bears the name of the frontier lad who made his way onward and always upward into the affection as well as the esteem of all who knew him, and whose name shall be writ in story for many a long year to come among the bits of poetical expression his mind fastened to in that dear remembered library in the far back time when we were all young together and felt our lives strong and compelling was this which so well fits to himself fleet foot in the forest sage head in the cumber red hands in the foray how sound is thy slumber End of chapter two recording by Roger Moline